much for joining us. This is Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. I'm a clinical psychologist, leadership consultant, and a really big fan of you getting to fulfill your life purpose. I want you to get unstuck and unlock your potential relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and vocationally. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Welcome to Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. And as promised, we're going to go a little bit deeper on some of the topics of anxiety and depression and relationship issues. And today we're going to cover specific dimensions of some of that chronic anxiety that many of us deal with and think it's a personality quirk and that I'll live with this forever. And we've almost gotten to the point that we stop trying and stop thinking that there's a solution because I don't know about you, if I've worked for something and I've tried and I've made the appointments, I've read the books, I've tried the disciplines and it hasn't gotten better. It's really easy to get disappointed, disillusioned and think it's just never going to get better. And I hope that through this channel and many other resources in your life that God may be bringing into your life, that there is hope being restored, that sometimes there is a long suffering and a waiting for things. And if we faint not, we will reap a harvest. So I want to tell you a story and it's so prevalent that I'm going to kind of put a lot of different people's stories together into one because it is so common. I have a lot of clients and probably you as well have had the fear of somebody breaking in or an intruder or something bad happening or your car being hijacked or some kind of a foreboding impending doom, something bad, and I'm going to be out of control and I'm not going to be able to handle it. And so there's just this ruminating, which is like the brain being on a hamster wheel. And it's really scary and really overwhelming. And we can't stop it. We try to logic our way out of it. That's not realistic. That's not going to happen. Statistically, it's not true. And yet it feels true anyway. So I'm going to tell you about an individual I worked with while I was working in Virginia. And this woman was corporate, very sophisticated, very elegant. She was a uh, corporate leader and she had this chronic anxiety. And we had worked for many, many seasons on the anxiety and it would get better. And then it would come back. And it was kind of like this little root of the tree had not been fully uprooted yet. And so she went a long time and the anxiety was good. And then she had to reach out saying it's back and it's back with a vengeance. This time, the anxiety is plaguing me, um, staying up at night, can't sleep. And just this chronic fear of an intruder breaking in and stealing me, stealing my life, ruining everything. And I'm not going to be able to protect myself. So naturally we're looking at everything logical. Um, has she watched any movies? Has she had any personal trauma, whether herself or a family or a friend or um, the news? What has she been watching? And this is, you know, way before COVID and everything that we've gone through in the last 18 months. But during that time, there was nothing that would clue us in. She had no trauma. She hadn't been watching any movies or news. She'd actually kind of gotten in the habit and the discipline of not watching a lot of news as part of her existing care uh, to manage the anxiety in prior seasons. And so there was nothing she could think of. And so I'm like, okay, well, let's stay curious. Instead of just assuming that it's something wrong with you, Let's be really thorough, go slow, get low, and figure out how symbolically this may be trying to communicate something to you. 
So I said, well, tell me about the first time that the intruder fear uh, started and let's work up what happened, what may have triggered that. And she said, absolutely nothing. My life is really peaceful, really good. My marriage is thriving. Uh, my kids are, are all healthy. Uh, they're starting to launch in the world. Things are really good. My career is thriving. Everything is great. Um, and I was just sitting on the couch, snuggling with my husband, watching a movie. And then there was this fear that just started to arise in me that uh, an intruder was going to break in. And my husband would be right there in bed and yet still, I would have this chronic fear that something bad was going to happen. And so I said, okay, well, let's be really in the weeds then. What was it that you were watching? And she got really quiet and didn't really want to tell me. And she said, well, I mean, it was, it was a dumb movie. It was just like a lifetime movie. This girl was really promiscuous and then, um, something happened and blah, blah, blah. And I don't honestly remember the rest of the storyline of the movie because it was interesting to say, okay, well, what was symbolic about that? Not literal, but what may have triggered, let's stay curious. And she said, well, Dr. Crawford, I've never told you that before I became a Christian, I used to be really promiscuous. And that was a season of my life. That's in the past. I don't talk about it because it's not who I am today. I am righteous today and I'm married and faithful and monogamous. And I love my life and I love my kids. And she's just going on telling me all about who she is. And I'm like, I know all of that. It's curious for me to see you so much defend and protect who you are today when I already know those things to be true. It's interesting that you're trying to protect my view of you so much. Can you tell me more about that period of your life when you describe as being very promiscuous? And you could see the shame all over her of saying, you know, I used to devalue myself and just any guy who would give me attention. Um, and I would make these choices that I didn't like, and I didn't respect about myself. And then when I met Jesus, I found true love and felt worthy and valuable, um, to be waited for, to have somebody pursue my heart and care for me, met my husband, got married. And that was a long time ago. It's under the blood. I've never looked back. And so I said, well, I'm wondering if you've never really processed that chapter of your life. It sounds like it just kind of got compartmentalized with all the Christmas decorations metaphorically in the basement of the unconscious. And it may be time to slow down and to bring those things conscious so they can be processed. There was obviously some resistance to that because you could feel how much her soul was protecting her from ever wanting to reconnect with that chapter of her life. And when that happens, there's no abstract nebulous, right? There's a literal part of your soul that's holding that. There's a literal part of this woman's soul and many people, male and female, that have gone through similar things where there's this chronic fear and anxiety of something bad happening, being hijacked or intruder, or something taking over and losing control, and then being helpless in this you know, state of these bad things taking over. And so I realized, I think let's explore if there may be a part of you holding that fear and anxiety because there's another part of you you've never actually reintegrated and honored into who you are today and letting that be part of your story and the cohesive version, the holistic view of who you are. 
And so we conceptualize it. There's a defender or a protector part of you that made judgments. That part of me is bad. I don't want to do that again. I don't want to ruin my life. And this other part of me that's bad ever escaping, taking over and like an intruder coming in and then causing me to make bad choices or reckless or ever cheat on my husband and the fear of losing my life, my career, my children losing respect in me. So there's all these factors and turmoil that was going on inside of her because she had never actually reprocessed and reintegrated life experiences and parts of her that were holding or quarantining all of those thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that she had disavowed as bad. And so in our work together, she had years of different therapists, training, medicine, all the things of trying to get rid of anxiety, but it wasn't until, and it was a learning curve for me as well. We don't know until we find out because she had never told me about that chapter of her life because it was so covered in shame. But when she was able to start bringing that conscious and the defender protector part of her laying down the judgments she had made against this part of her. Now, I know it sounds really abstract. And for clarity, I'm not talking about multiple personality or DID. I'm not talking about true like psychotic symptoms or schizophrenia. I'm actually just talking about the normal everyday fluidity of parts of self. And the basis of restoring self-cohesion, the model of therapy that I've innovated by pulling a, a bunch of models together into a, a synthesis, the creative collaboration of different models to try to create something very streamlined, then we've been able to help people go to those places of pain, of self-rejection, self-denial, self-judgment, self-abasement where we had never actually reintegrated and restored honor and dignity to those parts of us. And so what we did, and what I would encourage you to do if you're listening, because how many of us have chapters of our life, I know I do, that I wish I had made better choices. I wish that I hadn't um, done a million things that I have done that have hurt and devalued myself and others. And I don't like that. I don't like that view of me. I don't like that I'm capable of that. And so human nature is then to just kind of disavow it, ignore it, put it back in the unconscious. But the issue is if it's unconscious, then a stronghold can be created around it. And an unconscious stronghold now has a completely different drive and a completely different um, processing center than the conscious mind. And so I'm a house divided against myself and a house divided against itself cannot stand. I have two competing systems. And at one level, there's a part of us going, uh, I know that that's down there. I know my badness or my shame, um, what I'm capable of. For some of you, it might be your temper. You may have anger that you're like, oh, I never want to go back to that. Or weakness. I never want to feel that weak and vulnerable again. I never want to feel that um, exploited or helpless or scared or depressed or hopeless. And so we just disavow it, but it's like, there's a feedback on the inside that the protector part of you knows that's there. And it's not actually the fear of somebody else breaking in while the conscious mind doesn't uh, disavows and ignores the inside reality. So I project my internal angst and disavowed reality onto the outside world. And the way that we do that is we obsess on what we can control. 
Like many of you know, eating disorders have nothing to do with food. It has to do with a sense of control and worthiness for nurturance versus lack of, you know, many times fear of an intruder or somebody hurting us or being out of control has much less than you could imagine with the outside world being unsafe and more to do with, I am unsafe. I am bad. I can't trust me. What if I make a bad choice and I ruin this wonderful life that I have spent so long building? And if I live in that chronic fear, then it's creating this low grade anxiety and there's chemicals attached, right? So then you have cortisol, you have that stress hormone, just kind of always in the background, sending signals that I'm not safe. Something bad could happen and I better stay on guard. So then the conscious mind gets that feedback, gets those chemicals and looks around in the present and goes, well, what's making me feel like this? And then we'll interject that reality, take that in and then project it onto the outside world and go, oh, well, what if the wrong president gets in? What if I lose my job? What if somebody breaks into my house? What if um, a tornado happens? What if I'm out of control and I can't X, Y, Z? That's a defense response. That's an illusion of trying to control my outside world because my inside world doesn't feel safe or in control to me. The easiest thing to do with that, instead of trying to fight against your nature, is to slow down and start writing your story. What is the fullness of my story, including the unglamorous, unattractive parts that I've tried to deny even to myself and say, Hey, it's awesome that I had this radical transformation. You know, a lot of people, they have something incredible, like meeting Jesus. And all of a sudden their life is like, I'm a new person, I'm a new creation. And that is absolutely true in our spirit, man, in the true me, but it's not necessarily true right away in the soul. And the soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And that's the progressive sanctification, which means each part of my soul learning that it's safe to be annexed back in, to be included back into conscious awareness. It's helpful to think of your internal world like a committee, like as if there's many parts of you and you want all of those parts of you conscious and collaborating, showing up and doing their role. The problem is just like a corporation with a hostile takeover, many of us have a chronic fear of somebody taking over something bad happening, losing control. And this chronic fear of loss of control usually comes because there's some part of me I feel is out of control. That's a bad part of me. That's a shame part of me. If I express my anger, they're going to reject me and abandon me and they, I won't get comfort and reassurance anymore. If I express sadness or weakness, they're going to mock me or tease me or minimize and I'm going to feel humiliated and alone. Whatever the scenario might be for you, and it could be completely different, something totally random. Uh, for some people with enmeshment, what if I'm too independent? What if I'm too strong and capable and those people don't feel needed by me anymore? And so then they give up and they don't really want to be there for me because they feel like they need to be the one that takes over my life in order to be wanted. And so to protect my life, maybe some people have learned to abdicate to not be autonomous and make their own decisions because they want to make sure that that attachment relationship is still there. 
I could go all day in sharing different vignettes. Uh, I've been doing therapy 15 years. And so there's just so many stories that are very overlapping and similar, because if you boil it down, most of us have a fear of I'm bad and others are bad. <laughs> I can't trust me. And I'm not sure who I can trust on the outside. Many people have one of those fears and not the other. Some people have the fear of both. And that's really hard. That's more complicated. But for most of us, we have one or, or the other of those fears. And so if I believe I'm bad at any level, any part of me is bad. Let's say it's the you that eats too much. It's the you that watches too much TV. It's the you that is too much of the dictator and you can't get yourself to stop. If instead of just trying to suppress and willpower that away, what if this was the opportunity to create connection, to create restoration, to allow cohesion among the parts of you by going slow, getting low, and starting to find out symbolically, how is this symptom actually trying to communicate something? Like for this individual from Virginia, she, a corporate woman, very intelligent, very capable, has this chronic fear that somebody's going to break in when that was not an issue. She even got her concealed license gun carry thing just to make sure she felt safe. She kept a stun gun on her at all times, you know, a little pepper spray situation because it wasn't really about the outside world being unsafe. It was about how she had never actually befriended and forgiven the parts she had judged as bad. And we have to, in anxiety, learn how to reject those judgments we've made against ourselves. So even today, in my quiet time, I realized I have a fear that I make bad choices. I don't trust myself and I want to overly abdicate to other people. And so when big decisions would come and probably still will happen, I'm still working on it, but I would overly want other people to tell me what to do because that childhood fear is I'm going to make a bad choice. The reason that's there is because I have a judgment that I made bad choices when I was little attached to some life events and that got frozen. And so it's kind of like a computer where that code got written, a core belief was formed. I am bad. I make bad choices. I can't be trusted. And so that judgment then created automaticity that when a decision was coming, all of a sudden cortisol would spike and I would feel anxiety and dread and foreboding. Whatever your situation, if it's the fear of somebody intruding and taking over, in her case, it was the fear of the bad part of her taking over. And so she needed to have control to constantly whack-a-mole the quote-unquote bad her that she had judged instead of learning how to forgive, instead of learning how to process and hear the story of the part of her that had run after um being promiscuous as a way to try to feel valued and beautiful and attractive and wanted in an environment where her parents were going through divorce and there was fighting and there was a lot of turmoil and stress. And she learned from a young age, this is how I'll get attention. How many of us have learned very similar things, maybe not the same situation, maybe not the end uh, story and belief at the end, but what if all of us are walking around with these core beliefs, 
these judgments we formed, and now that's still creating inner turmoil inside. So my call to action for you this week, I'm going to ask that you write your story, include the unflattering parts, the parts that you'd wish were not there. Trust me, I have lots of those parts and I still have parts that I'm like, why did I make that choice currently? I know better, but knowing better is a conscious process. It's not an unconscious healing and restoration of programming. What we need to do is write the story from the vantage point of the me who was looking for a need to be met, of the me that is vulnerable and scared and overwhelmed and angry and upset. And then we take time to love and affirm and celebrate that part of us. And when you do, I'll just have you imagine, not literal, but imagination, visualize there's a part of you that kind of held and contained all of that quote unquote badness that you've judged. And then another part of you, that's the protector. And that's the judge that went, I have to make sure I keep my eye on you. I have to keep control because you're not safe. You're not good. And I can't let you out and ruin everything. And so these two parts of self, whether it's overeating, undereating, feeling um, insecure, but then trying to be tough and trying to be strong or trying to reject your anger and trying to be meek when really you're really upset and you don't know how to express that, whatever that dichotomy of relationship is, if you can humble yourself and say, Hey, I see value in both part of me, both parts and forgive and lead those parts of your soul into restoration, where I always think the protector part of me, it may not be super helpful today, but it was formed out of a time where I needed that. And that was the best I had and the best I was capable of doing in that chapter of my life. And it's just maintained until I finally go back and reset, reprogram that that part of my soul doesn't have to do that job anymore. Would you join us? And taking the time to dive a little deeper, to go a little slower and to say, I love you part of me that dot, 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 that is afraid of being out of control. That is afraid of loss of approval. That is afraid of making a mistake. That is afraid of being angry or upset or people uh, rejecting or abandoning me or that eats too much or watches too much TV or porn or whatever the situation for you might be. Can you say, I love you. I honor you. Thank you for trying to help. But today you don't have to be in that role anymore because that part of me that was judged as bad is not actually bad. These are good parts of me doing the best that they could with the time, the energy, the experience, the modeling of what we knew at the time. And now we can start bringing cohesion, forgiveness, and I'll visualize that part of me that was the judge, the protector, and the part of me that was kind of the shame holding the badness. And those two parts of me hugging, reconciling. And now I hug them and kind of bring them conscious and invite them to have a seat at the table of the conscious committee. And when that happens, now you have actual conscious thoughts of, I'm scared I'm going to lose control because I'm afraid that. Or I feel angry because this situation is hurting my feelings. I'm aware that I'm emotional eating right now because I'm really longing for comfort or whatever it might be in your case. 
at least now it's conscious. And when it's conscious, you can now choose. It's consciously mediated through the prefrontal cortex, the wise brain, rather than just automaticity, trying to feel better impulse, trying to shut it down, trying to protect myself from being out of control or whatever it might be. And if we can start reworking our definition of anxiety, reworking our internal experience of our world inside that's very alive and very bright, vibrant, then instead of just trying to manage and cope with anxiety, we can start saying, huh, I wonder what is symbolic about this and how it would be helpful to dive deeper to figure out what's going on and then bring the reconciliation, release the judgments, forgive, reject the lies and beliefs that were formed during that past experience. And then really get that inner world collaborating and syncing up so that you can be linear and streamlined and then consciously aware of when something needs to be dealt with versus kind of that residual feeling coming up of chronic anxiety and not knowing why you're feeling it and feeling broken, uh, trying to control your circumstances. If instead we do the inner work you'll find you're able to hold the outside world much more open-handed. And it's a sweeter work of grace to be alive and rested and present in the moment you're in versus trying to get ahead of everything bad that could potentially happen on the outside as a symbolic way of defending against the bad you're afraid is gonna be unleashed on the inside of you. May you forgive yourself. May you release judgments against yourself. May you release any fears, doubts, and beliefs and lies that you've believed about yourself and just bring all of this conscious and now start allowing truth to be written on the tablet of the heart of that part of your soul that once believed lies and is now being upgraded into the wonderful, amazing, conscious part of you that's contributing in the way it was intended at creation. I love you guys. And thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And I'm going to do another episode on the psychodynamic triangle of finding out the source of a lot of our common annoying emotions. I'll see you next time. Hey friends, thanks for listening. We would love for you to get plugged in with the Unlock You community. So follow the links below and stay up to date with upcoming content, events, and groups. We are here to invest in you and tailor episodes around your interests. Post comments, and hey, if there are any specific topics you'd like to hear about, let us know so we can strategically build content that is meaningful to you. And will you share this podcast so we can invest into more amazing people? Be sure to hit subscribe so we can see you for the next episode.